What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped into my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming related decree. This week, it's all about two amazing-looking PlayStation exclusives. So let's talk about it and dive right into the episode with my news catch of the week. Gamers, I love showcase events. Whether it's the big, massive publisher events like Microsoft and Sony pull off every year during E3 time, or if it's a more smaller developer slash publisher like, say, Square Enix or Capcom doing their own thing, it doesn't matter. I love it when these special showcase events happen. But more recently, we've seen it a lot more happening Individual games are getting their own showcase events at 15, 20 minutes a pop per release. And I'm loving it. We had it last year with Horizon Forbidden West. We saw it also with Dying Light 2 and many more. Well, this past week, Sony was generous enough to grace us with two of its upcoming exclusive games that are coming, honestly, extremely soon, just next month, in the month of March to be exact. And the first of these two games that are, I want to highlight that Sony chose to highlight this past week is a game that's really been kind of shrouded in mystery up until recently. And honestly, I've been kind of on the fence about. So what did this event, how did I come out of it? How did it affect my opinion one way or another or at all after this event? Well, that game in question is Ghostwire Tokyo from Tango Gameworks. And guys, let me just say that I absolutely love this development team. Tango Gameworks, if you haven't heard of them or don't know, they developed The Evil Within and The Evil Within 2. And I loved both of those games. I did feel the second game ended up being the masterpiece that the first one was really kind of going for and really, really want a third game in that series. And with my personal history with Ghostwire Tokyo, you know, I feel it kind of started with maybe a little bias on my part, because at E3 a couple of years ago, Tango Gameworks came out of the Bethesda press conference to announce their new game, and I just so happened to have just recently, a few months prior, played through and beaten and just absolutely loved The Evil Within 2. So here I am on the high of still from beating that game, and I am expecting, hoping, fingers crossed, that this is The Evil Within 3 reveal. <sighs> Obviously, gamers, we did not get Evil Within 3. I did not get Evil Within 3. What we were shown was the first teaser announcement trailer for Ghostwire Tokyo. So, of course, at first, I'm like, man, what is this? This is not Evil Within 3. I don't even know what this is. Like, it looks kind of cool because I love horror and creepy, but uh, I really wanted Evil Within 3. So I do feel like for a while, unfortunately for me, Ghostwire Tokyo kind of had that blemish in my mind attached to it because I wanted it to be something that it was never going to be. Well, I'll be honest, time, it did heal that wound or that blemish, and I eventually became open-minded to the idea of, you know what, let me see what this game is, man. Tango, they did a good job with Evil Within and Evil Within 2, 
It may not be the game I want, but it could be a game that I want. So let me see what this is all about. So as different blurbs of information have come out on the game here or there, I've definitely kind of raised an eyebrow and looked into it. Nothing really grabbed me as of yet. Well, this past week, it was kind of a surprise to see that there was going to be this 20-minute showcase event highlighting a new gameplay reveal and interviews with the development team. So I was pretty excited to get my eyes glued to the TV when they released this content. So let me just kind of go through a few things about Ghostwire Tokyo. If you have no idea what it is, let me just tell you that we have a protagonist in this game. He's a young man whose name is Akito. And he wakes up one day and he finds out that out of Tokyo's 14 million residents, 99% of them have gone missing. Now, even weirder, there's this voice that's emanating from deep within his soul. And ultimately, it's this spirit whose name is KK. And this spirit, or KK, has taken up residence inside Akito's mortal shell. But the cool thing about it is, KK has blessed Akito with magical powers that can come from his fingertips. He can use his hands and just before unforeseen ways. Now, this is our protagonist and his partner. Obviously, every story has to have an antagonist or a villain. And in this case, Ghostwire Tokyo's villain is this demonic mask-wearing kidnapper who ultimately kidnaps Akito's sister. And obviously, this is where Akito gets pissed off and goes on a mission to track down his sister, rescue her, and along the way, hopefully find or get some kind of understanding as to what is going on in Tokyo. Now, speaking of Tokyo, this game is set in an open world setting. So you have the entire city at your disposal. And there's many ways that we saw in this video that you can get around. Obviously, you have on foot, but there are also these flying creatures that you can kind of grapple up to and get onto the rooftops, which is the quickest way of world traversal. There is a standard menu map that allows for navigation of Tokyo. And there are many, of course, side missions and main missions and multiple points of interest that involve defeating enemies with certain locations that ultimately... As you go through this map, it defogs, is what I call it. There's nothing on the map screen when you first bring it up, but as you explore an area, it slowly reveals itself as to what may be in that near area. Now, these areas that a lot of times are points of interest that are kind of like what I would consider, I liken them to viewpoints in the Assassin's Creed series, and those are Tory gates. And these Tory gates, you have to cleanse them, is the verbiage being used here, in order to clear a bigger area of fog at once. And there are several of these Tory gates throughout Tokyo. And the way that you take out enemies in this game, it looks really, really cool. If not a little bit, maybe difficult. Uh, from just a viewer standpoint, I'm sitting there watching and I'm like, man... I don't know, man, it could be a little, uh, I don't know, cumbersome is the right word, but it looked like it would be a lot of fun, but I have to, it just looked like it might would take some practice to really kind of fine tune. And maybe that's not the case at all, because as I'm sure we've all experienced at some point or another, it's very different when you're actually the one controlling a game as opposed to watching it being played. So it may not be as cumbersome or difficult as I may perceive it to be just by watching 
this gameplay trailer. Now, the combat is done in such a way where you use that magical power that KK imbues you with, and it just looked really cool. I mean, there's abilities where you can use these wires, which is where the ghost wire name comes from, to kind of latch onto enemies, and uh, Akito does all these really cool, fancy finger-looking movements with his hands, and the, the I mean, the animation is absolutely gorgeous and flawless, and, you know, you just kind of tighten these wires around the enemies in front of you, and rip them to shreds and there's multiple things that you can do other than doing this but that's one thing with the wire there's also other energy looking blasts and different things that you learn obviously as you progress throughout the course of the game new move sets and whatnot but outside of the magical abilities there's also two other possible ways to attack and defend yourself obviously you do have a parry and block system going on here and then there's also the talismans that you can find throughout the game world, which are actual special abilities that you can use to help you out in a pinch. But the other big piece and crucial piece to this combat and exploration is the bow and arrow. Now, gamers, how many times have we seen the bow and arrow come to our aid in these kinds of games? And there is a sequence where you can, as a keto, sneak through and silently walk up behind these enemies and take them down in a certain manner. Or you can headshot them with the bow and arrow stealthily from a distance. It's really up to you. And there's also other options for this bow and arrow system as opposed to just your basic arrows. You will have upgradable and special kind of arrows like explosive arrows and that kind of thing as you progress in the game. So overall... I really, really enjoyed what I saw in this trailer. I won't lie. There were a few points where I was like, ah, I don't know, man. I'm kind of, I'm on this high and then I'm kind of down low. It was kind of like a roller coaster because there were points where I said just the combat looked like, I don't know, man. Am I going to like this? Yeah, I'm really going to like this. Uh, I don't know. Like, is this going to be? So only time will tell. I am very much sold on it, though. I will say I'm definitely going to be there on day zero technically because i pre-ordered the deluxe edition there's two editions they announced and they announced the release date for this game it's coming out march 25th is the official release date but if you pre-order the deluxe edition you'll get it three days early access on the 22nd so march 22nd can't wait to try this game out i think it looks really cool and unique and something it looks like something i've never played before so i can't wait to try out this new experience and support Tango Gameworks because I just absolutely love what they've done with the Evil Within series. And therefore, they've gained my trust in that sense to where I feel confident that Ghostwire Tokyo will end up being pretty awesome. Now, the second game this past week that was talked about, it was none other than Gran Turismo 7. Now, guys, I have been a fan of this series for quite some time. I mean, the series has been around since the original PlayStation. It's where the first two games came out. And then it really wasn't, though, for me until the PlayStation 2 and Gran Turismo 3 A-Spec that I became obsessed with Gran Turismo. You know, I didn't play the first game at all. Second game, I messed around with it. But that third game, I bought it on day one at a Babbage's in the mall that I used to go to with my friends. I actually, it's a very cool story. I went to the mall after having watched The Fast and the Furious, the first movie, with one of my best friends at the time. And we went over to that mall, to Babbage's, and picked up Gran Turismo 3 A-Spec. Came back to the house and just spent the rest of the afternoon 
playing and racing and trying to earn licenses, which, oh man, if you know Gran Turismo, you know what I'm talking about when I mention licenses. So, you know, since then, unfortunately, I have not put a lot of time or any, honestly, since that game into the series because my world kind of turned green with the original Xbox launch and I didn't play a whole lot of PlayStation for quite a few years. It's just really been these last few years that I've gotten back into that brand and actually figuring out how to juggle multiple consoles instead of just purely focusing on one. So with Gran Turismo 7, this is the 25th anniversary of this series, which is insane to believe. And I am very excited because it looks like it's not Gran Turismo Sport or any of these offshoots they've had. This is the full-on real deal Gran Turismo game that I have been waiting for to get me back into the franchise. So with this new Gran Turismo, they said that there's over 400 cars that are going to be available. And there are going to be well over 90 different layouts of tracks and 34 different locations across the world and the United States and Europe and Asia there's a lot of content here. I'll be honest with you. I'm sitting there watching the showcase presentation and I'm just like, man, all I can keep thinking about is the amount of time that I, I could possibly lose in this game and thinking about the time I did lose just going for that license, going for that gold trophy in the track that I was racing on in Gran Turismo 3. But it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. There's nothing like getting that gold trophy finally after hours of mastering the track or learning every curve and every turn and how to take it perfectly. But my most anticipated mode in Gran Turismo 7 is the return of campaign, which in campaign, if you don't know, you start out as a novice driver and you have a low level car. And ultimately you work your way through earning licenses to compete in events. And as you win, you work your way up in the ranks to earn better cars and earnings and upgrades. And you race in ever higher tier events with bigger winnings, so on and so forth, kind of leveling up your racer as you go as well. And this is what I did uh, similar to what I did in Gran Turismo three. And I just very much enjoy the campaign mode in these games now, another feature they showed off in this event that I'm really looking forward to is the history of cars that is presented in kind of a sort of a museum. And it's here where you can explore and look at all the different types of cars, their models, and see different pictures and read text and hear audio about the car creators and the history of the car and its brand. And I just, I'm, I'm a nerd for that kind of stuff. So I'm looking forward to wasting away time. <laughs> getting to learn all these different ins and outs of these different cars and brands and models. Now, one thing that has to be said about this game is the technology on display. Now, obviously on the PS5 version, you're going to get ray tracing and 3D audio, which is just going to be insane, I'm sure, with the 3D Pulse headset. But one thing they highlighted that looked just awesome to me was the real-time weather effects. Now, they actually... <sighs> my God, the level of depth that they went to with just the weather and the way that clouds are represented in the same way that they are formed in their respective real world locations. So clouds in Japan are going to look much different than clouds over LA. Uh, it just the way they went into it, I'm not going to spend time here explaining the science of it as they did in this event. But man, it was just insane to me, like in a good way that they went to that level of detail in creating the environment. And then when we talk about weather and rain, whew, so obviously there's going to be 
different tracks where there's going to be rainfall and whatnot. And just as in real life where rain pools in different areas differently or not at all in some areas, it will therefore dry up differently, whether it's more water, less water, so on and so forth. It does that in this game. It happens in real time. And they actually showed a sped up video of that happening. And it was just insane to me. And it's even more so crazy that, and this is not a new feature to Gran Turismo 7, but they have a weather satellite that you can see and access as you're driving around because in certain areas, longer tracks, you could be actually on one part of the track that's pure sunshine, but once you get all the way around the corner over here on this other end of the track, it's rain. And you can see that rain system moving on your satellite little mini-map area. It's just little details like this that are insane in a good way to me. But guys, of course, I have to mention the biggest one that I'm excited for is the DualSense controller functionality. And the developers are saying that this will allow players to feel things like the road surface and how different it feels from tarmac to asphalt to dirt to the front tire slip and the resonance of the car body itself. Obviously, the adaptive triggers also will too slightly feel a little bit different depending on the car that you're driving. Just the level of detail, guys, it just baffles me. And it just, I cannot wait to try it out to get that dual sense experience, that dual sense difference with a racing game. But we only have just a few weeks to wait now because March 4th is the release date of Gran Turismo 7. And I absolutely cannot wait. So a big week this past week, in my opinion, for exclusives on PS5 and just some reveals and just some awesome looking gameplay and really a lot to look forward to if you got a PS5 and if you're a PlayStation gamer in the month of March. So that was it for my catch of the week this week. Now let's go open up my captain's log and see what games I've been playing. Gamers, this past week, there was only one game that I gave my 100% dedication to. And that game was Guardians of the Galaxy. Guys, this game is absolutely, I'm just saying it right now, absolutely amazing. If you are a fan of the movies, if you're a fan of the comic books, actually, if you're not a fan of either of these, I'm telling you right now, as a gamer, as a person who loves amazing stories, if that's you, you have got to play this game. It is absolutely phenomenal and surprised me in every aspect of its being. I mean, from the graphics, to the story, to the voice acting, to the music, to just everything. Oh man, Eidos Montreal, the developers behind the game, have created an absolute masterpiece here. And, you know, before I played the game, I had heard feedback from Logan Phoenix, who's over at Graveyard Gamer, a podcast right here on Anchor, any other platform you want to find him on, check him out. Good show. If you like me, you'll like him. But he had been telling me, hey, man, I'm telling you, you good. it's good stuff. You're going to love this. And he was not wrong. <sighs> you know, from the point that I booted up this game, and I did choose to play this game on a PS5, the reason being is because most of Marvel's games seem to be going exclusive to the PS5. Now, yes, Avengers was multi-platform, but I chose to play it on PS5 because Miles Morales and the Spider-Man exclusive DLC to PlayStation for Avengers and Wolverine is going to be coming exclusive to PlayStation. So I figured, you know what? PlayStation can kind of be my Marvel gaming system, right? Well, bottom line is I was very much 
looking forward to the DualSense features as well. And they do not disappoint. The subtle vibration and all the different possible scenarios you could think of. The haptic feedback and adaptive triggers when using Star-Lord's guns. Ugh, guys, it's all there. Different sound effects coming through the speaker. I mean, it's it's exactly everything that I would have wanted from the DualSense difference. But the game itself, I don't want to say too, too much in this Captain's Log because I am very close to beating it. There are 14 chapters in a prologue. I'm on chapter 13. So I feel very confident that I'm going to beat it here very, very soon. So I'm going to be doing a review. And I want to get that review out there to you guys. And I don't want to say everything now that I may repeat in that review. So just know it is a top-notch game in every category. I have absolutely thoroughly enjoyed every second I've played of it. And, you know, it just... Man... If you haven't played it, if you were apprehensive of playing it because of Avengers, I know a lot of things I've seen online, people have not played Guardians because they feared it was another Avengers. I can tell you right now, 110 million percent certainty, it is not Avengers. It is a single player, story driven, narrative experience, Ah, and it is not to be missed. Please check it out. But I do have something that was my highlight of the week from Guardians of the Galaxy that I want to share with you now. Gamers, it wasn't just one specific scenario in Guardians that was my highlight this past week. Honestly, it was experiencing the story and the dialogue that is here at hand. This game, I'll just say, there is really quite nothing like it, I don't think, in any game I've ever played. It is literally just constant dialogue. You might be lucky if there's a couple of seconds in between phrases spoken or words said or options where you have to respond and give a dialogue choice. And I love it. It's amazing. It absolutely is amazing. It's hysterical. The dialogue is just as witty and funny as you might would expect if you read the comics or if you've seen the movies. And the voice actors just do an amazing job of conveying these characters and relating them perfectly to their voices and the situation at hand on screen. And I just, I love the little subtle details. Me, I'm very much an explorer and will go off the beaten path every time in every game I play, trying to find collectibles. And there's plenty of them here in Guardians. But it's awesome, in a weird way, to have Rocket like, ah, oh, come on, man, why are you going off over there again? What are you doing? What are you looking for? You know, just comments like that, acknowledging the player's exploration. <laughs> the fact that Eidos Montreal put that in there, I just, to me, that it cracks me up. Little things like that. And then, I, I got to tell you, the story itself is just absolutely amazing. I'll be honest, I'll go, I'm not even going out on a limb here. I'm just going to say it. I think that this story is better than either of the two Guardians movies. And I love that first Guardians. I really like the second movie, but I love that first Guardians movie. But I'm going to tell you now, I think the story in this game out surpasses both of those movies' scripts. And that's not knocking those movies. Again, I'm just telling you, that's how amazing this story is. I mean, already... Yes, I'm towards the end of the game, but I mean, there's about three times that I can jump right to in my mind that it just absolutely hit me in the feels. Oh man, it's just, whew. and then the music, the music is just so awesome. If you're a fan of 80s rock and just 
80s music in general, you're going to love the soundtrack to this game. Oh, it's just been, there's so many things that I have absolutely thoroughly enjoyed as I have played through this game. Now let's go find out what buried treasure I may have waiting for you in Guardians of the Galaxy in the form of some gaming tips. In Guardians of the Galaxy, there is really more in the first portion of the game where you can earn some credits for specific actions. And there's a reason and a meaning that you're going to want to have as many credits as possible at a certain point in the game. So if you're looking to max out your credit payment intake and you want to have enough for both some light spending fun when you visit a certain location a few chapters into the game, as well as have enough credits to pay off a specific fine that you also will have on, on your back <laughs> for a little while into the game, make sure that you do these two things. And if you do these two things, it will maximize your credit intake as well as give you the best possible outcome in these story moments. Now, first thing is you're going to be given an option. And again, I'm trying to be very vague here to avoid spoilers. So let's just say you're going to be given an option early in the game to either to hide two things, one of two things, either the biological weapon or illegal weapon parts. Again, to get the most credits, you're going to want to make sure to hide the illegal weapon parts when you're prompted. Now, number two, when you go to that said location earlier and you want to have some fun spending your credits that you've earned, don't go too crazy with it. Be a little conservative. Be smart about it. And you're not going to want to do any of the games that are set up for you around this area. And I'm talking about the cup guessing game, a game of slots, and buying a lottery ticket. Those three things I'm just going to point right out and say, don't do them if you want to make sure you have as much credits as possible in order to buy a special doll at a certain character's emporium that you're not going to want to pass up doing, I promise, and be able to pay off your fine. Both of these things are well worth doing. Just saying. So that was this week's Buried Treasure Gaming Tips. Now I have multiple things that I would like to review for you in the next segment, this week's Accessory Review. Accessory Review. Gamers, as promised, I do have multiple things to discuss this week in Accessory Review. And they are both PS5 related and they go hand in hand for me. And in just a few minutes, you will see why. I say they go hand in hand. Well, the first thing up that I want to discuss with you guys is the PS5 Cosmic Red console cover. Now, if you'll remember, Sony just recently put on sale the first two official console covers back in January, Midnight Black and the Cosmic Red. And for me, I opted to go with Cosmic Red because how many black consoles have I had over my course of my gaming career, right? So Cosmic Red, plus I also had the Cosmic Red DualSense controller, felt like that would match up and go pretty well. And we also found out that they were not going to be releasing the Starlight Blue, Nova Pink, or Galactic Purple console covers until at a later date this year, later in the spring, they said. So I really wanted to get in on these console covers, go through the process of popping off these fins, as I call them, even though it was terrifying to me, the prospect of doing so. And see what it was all about. But since I was already popping off these console covers or fins, I figured, you know what? 
Now is the perfect time to kill two birds with one stone. I got that new expandable memory as far as an SSD is concerned for Christmas for my PS5. And that was the WD Black SN851 terabyte. And I figured, you know what, if I'm already opening up the console or popping off these console covers to swap out the, the white with the red, why not go ahead and do the internal SSD at the same time, right? So that's what I did. First up, though, we have that console cover. Now, really, the process is very basic and simple, but the reason why I was terrified is because I tend to be heavy-handed, and I was terrified that I would pull a little bit too hard here or push a little bit too much there and end up breaking something. And as you all know, the PS5 is still not something that you can just walk into a store off the street and pick up. So that's the last thing I want to do is break my beautiful PS5 because I wanted it to be red instead of white. So for me, there is some apprehension here. But at the end of the day, the prospect of expandable memory and increasing the size that I have to play with as opposed to transferring back and forth all the time my content from my internal SSD to my external hard drive. Ugh, it was so frustrating and annoying. So it was worth it to me. But the console cover, the process again, it's very simple. All you do, say you have it face down, you wanna make sure to unplug everything first. I would not recommend doing this with it's plugged in. But you put it down on its side. If you have the disc tray facing you, you want to put your hand on the bottom left corner of the side that you're going to pop off. And then put your other hand on the top right corner, the tip of it. You want to push down a little bit with that left hand and pull up a little bit with that right hand. And when you have that at the same time, you want to just push forward a little bit with your left hand. And you'll hear and feel the the fin come out of the grooves in the console. And once you do and you pull it off, you'll see where those grooves are and everything is okay. <laughs> At that point, you're like, oh, okay, this isn't too bad. So obviously you would just kind of rinse and repeat for the other side. And it's very simple for putting on the new console cover. All you do is line it up with the grooves that are in the console, slide them in until it, it's fitting in there nicely and snugly and it'll snap into place. You'll, you'll know and hear whenever it's in there correctly. So that's that's it. So really to review this product, it's more about is it worth the $55 that is the asking price? I personally, I don't think it's worth $55. I would say maybe if it was 30 bucks, 20 bucks, that seems like a more reasonable price. So I chop a little bit off for that. And I mean, honestly, it does look really cool to look down and see a cosmic red PS5. But other than that, there's not a whole lot else it really does. So ultimately, I think it's a cool idea and concept, just a little bit pricey, and I'll give it an 8 out of 10. Now, as far as the WD Black SN851 terabyte, that is a little bit different, but it's also a very easy process. So if you're intimidated by it, don't be. Now, just to kind of give a description of what this SSD actually does, first off, Sony recommends that an SSD, if you're going to expand your internal memory, that you use one that's no less than 5,500 millibytes per second read speed. Now, this device has a read speed, according to the PS5, once I had it installed, of 6,300. So it's well above, almost 1,000 above that read speed base requirement. But in addition to the read speed, the other crucial part of getting this SSD for your expandable memory internally on the PS5 
you got to make sure the SSD has a heat sink. Now, yes, you could buy an SSD without a heat sink, but it's not going to run to the performance level that you would expect from a PS5 or that you deserve from a PS5. So pay the little extra to get the heat sink from the get-go. You can buy heat sinks separately, but why go through all that? That's just extra steps and unnecessary second purchases. Get the SSD with the heat sink already on it. And what is a heat sink? Well, basically it controls the airflow and that running speed of the SSD is so fast it produces that heat, but the heat sink kind of keeps it cooled down. So it keeps it running fast, it keeps it running smooth. So you gotta have that to perform to the full functionality of the PS5. Now, this SSD was on sale at the time of recording for $189.99 on Amazon. It's typically normal priced at $269.99. So, I mean, that's a pretty good price right there. That's, what, 80 bucks off? So I would say strike while the iron's hot if you're interested and go ahead and grab one up. And then you can install it after I tell you how easy it is all you're going to need is a Phillips, the extremely most tiniest Phillips head screwdriver that you can find. And once you have your console cover popped off and you're looking at the inside of the PS5, the side where you're going to install the SSD, it's going to have like a little metal plate and you're going to have to unscrew that metal plate. And that'll open up and show you the compartment where you're going to be inserting the SSD. Now, before you actually snap the SSD into place, there is an anchor screw in there that you're going to have to unscrew first. Once you unscrew that, snap in the SSD, and it's going to stop and be positioned right at a specific spot for that anchor screw to go into based on the length of the SSD and the size of it. Screw in the anchor screw, put the metal plate back on and screw it back in, pop your console cover back on, plug everything back up, and if everything was done correctly, the PS5 is going to immediately prompt you to reformat the SSD. And obviously, you're going to want to go ahead and say yes and do this. And it doesn't take long at all. And voila, you are now the proud owner of an extra terabyte of space for your PS5. With all these games coming out in the near future, you won't have to worry about copying and transferring anymore. So with a pretty easy installation process and not as terrifying as I thought that it might be, and a very good read speed, but not quite the best, I'm going to go with a 9 out of 10 for the WD Black SSD. Now let's go check out this month's Captain's Decree. Gamers, racing as a genre in gaming has been on my mind a lot in the past few weeks. You know, from a few weeks ago, finally getting to try out and loving Forza Horizon 5 on the Xbox, and then now this past week looking at what I can expect and what's ahead for us in store for Gran Turismo 7, I am very much all about some racing right now. So it got me on a trip down memory lane, and there's a few racing game franchises that we haven't seen in a long time that I would love to see make a comeback. The reality of some of these series is probably very low of them coming back, but a gamer can hope, right? So first up, Midnight Club. Gamers, if you never heard of Midnight Club, it is a game and series created by Rockstar Games, believe it or not, Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, those guys, they did a racing game series. The first one actually launched with the PlayStation 2 back in October of 2000. And that's when I first 
was introduced to the Midnight Club series. And I loved it. I thought it was a great game for the time. It wasn't one that I spent the majority of my time on at launch. I was more involved with Summoner and Orphan, Scion of Sorcery, and all those other games that I typically flock more towards. But it was still a fun game. Well, then they came out with Midnight Club 2 in 2002. And then the one that really shook my core, Midnight Club 3 Dub Edition in 2005. Now, guys, this came out on PSP as well as on home consoles. And at the time, the PSP had just launched in March of 05. And I was a huge fan of that original PSP. So one of the first early games that I had that I was obsessed with on that PSP was that Midnight Club Dub Edition. Guys, I spent countless hours playing by myself or hooking up with another friend via ad hoc at the time. And man, it was just, it was an amazing game. There, the graphics were great. The gameplay was a lot of fun. It was challenging. And also on the console side of things, I thoroughly enjoyed what they did with Dub Edition as well. Well, there was only one more game that released in the series, and that was Midnight Club Los Angeles in 2008. And, you know, since then, the series has been dormant. Unfortunately, I don't know if Rockstar is really prioritizing that series or racing as a genre <laughs> right now. So I don't know that we'll ever see another Midnight Club, but just the kind of vibe you got and the music and the soundtrack and the controls and the worlds that they created within those Midnight Club games, I loved it. It did a great job of really showcasing the street racing scene. So it would be awesome. Uh, a lot of great memories with that series. So a, a gamer can hope again. Now, the next series that I thought about was Project Gotham Racing, made by Bizarre Creations. Now, Project Gotham Racing it was essentially, in my opinion, Microsoft's answer to Sony's Gran Turismo, ironically. And the first game came out at the launch of the original Xbox and was well-received. And then ultimately, there was Project Gotham Racing 2 and Project Gotham Racing 3 at the launch of the 360. <sighs> ultimately, it culminated with Project Gotham Racing 4, and the series went dormant. Bizarre Creations actually was dispersed and disbanded. I don't know that we'll ever get this again either, unless Microsoft decides to bring it back. But it's probably highly unlikely, considering the massive success that it has with its Forza series, both Motorsport and Horizon. But I loved Project Gotham Racing. There was something unique about it. It had a kudo system, which was very unique to it at the time, and it rewarded you for more than just winning the race. There was more to it than just winning. It was win with style. How do you take these turns? How do you chain a drift together? And I feel like, yeah, we still see some of that today in today's racing games that still come out, but I feel like Project Gotham really kind of paved the way for you know things we see a need for speed and uh, even in Forza nowadays where you have you know drift chains and the scoring systems and things like that I, I feel like that originated from the kudo system and Project Gotham Racing but it was just a really good collection of tracks as well and uh, it was just a classic racing series that I wouldn't mind seeing come back at least one more time and the final racing series that I thought about was Burnout Burnout was absolutely huge in the early 2000s, guys. If you didn't play games or weren't around back then, you just don't know. There was something awesome and addictive about Burnout. A lot of it had to do with 
the series' trademark takedowns, and that is what set this series apart from every other racing game at the time, is it was all about intentionally crashing into either your opponents or causing them to crash into things in the environment, and hence the names of some of the sequels like Revenge and Takedown and things of that nature, but Revenge was really the one that got me absolutely hooked. And then Paradise just kind of took it into an open world setting on the 360 and elevated it for me. And I'll be honest, I, I know that they came back a few years ago with an attempt to come back and it just was not good. I'm talking like, all right, guys, let's really go back to the drawing board, see what this series was all about, why it was so popular at the time, what people loved about it, and let's do it right. That is what I would love to see potentially at some point in the future. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by searching for Hulking Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks. Reach out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com, as well as find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming and on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing. <laughs>